Well, hey, welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. I'm so glad that you guys are here. I'm so glad that I get to be here with you guys. Uh, my name is Adam. For those of you who I have not yet haven't had an opportunity to meet, um, not to be Captain Obvious or anything, but as you can tell, I'm not from here, not just not from South Florida. I'm also not from Atlanta, which uh, is probably obvious. I'm actually from Ireland, but I've been friends with John and Adam for around about two years now. And so when I heard that John and Adam were starting this church, I was just so excited because they had already spoken to me kind of a, a bit of what was the vision that they had for creating a church that would redefine the church experience in the city of Fort Lauderdale. That really got me excited about creating a new kind of church experience, maybe for those who have had past bad church experiences or had no church experience, to, to redefine the church experience. I, I was really excited about that. So I've been following you guys, you don't even know that, not in a stalkerish kind of way, just uh, following up on social media, right? Facebook and Twitter and all that sort of stuff. Just been keeping up with what's going on. And I'm really excited to get to be here and participate, be part of the, the thing today. So um, I'm glad to be here. Uh, my name is Adam. I'm from Ireland. Um, we're talking about this, this series. Uh, we're finishing it off today called Future and Past. Now, Adam started it last week, and he talked about the future, and this morning, I'm going to be kind of finishing this off, talking about the past. So if you're just coming in, yeah, if you missed last week, you're kind of coming in at the end of the movie, but that's okay because this, this talk is going to be very relevant to all of us because every single one of us have a past. No matter who you are, no matter what your story is or where you're from, every single one of us have a past. Even I have a past. A big part of my past is that I'm from Ireland. So I live in Atlanta right now. Um, actually, I'm about to get married on April 15th. Met a phenomenal, blonde, tall American girl and uh, fell in love and decided to move over here. I get married on April 15th. So, uh, you know, being from Ireland and moving over here, I've been here for about a year now, has been interesting because some of the things that I carry in from my story are the way that I talk, which is obvious, right? You can already tell that my accent is different, but not alone is my accent different, but I also say uh, a lot of words that you don't say in America. And really what I've had to do is kind of drop some of those words uh, because they get me into all sorts of trouble. People over here don't understand the vocabulary that I've carried with me from Ireland. So I've had to let go of some words, which has been hard. Great words like banjaxed, phenomenal word. It means broken. You know, like if you drop something and it smashes, you're like, oh, it's banjaxed. No one understands that here. Uh, another word is knackered. So knackered just means extremely tired. So for example, you know, with daylight savings time, we've lost an hour. So probably most of us are feeling knackered, right? Can't say that here though, because nobody knows what I mean. But the, there's one word in particular that I love uh, that I don't get to use anymore here at all. And there's a reason why. There's a story in my past. I'm going to tell you about it. But, but here's the word. The word is, let me see, am I at the end of my slideshow or am I at the, yeah, just flick me to the, to the start there. It's this word right here. Now, how would you assume that this word is pronounced? Right, so a, a lot of people say like crake or crike or whatever. The way that this word is pronounced as Irish people, we say crack, which means something entirely different in America, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's, a whole, it's, a, it's a world of trouble using that word. But in Ireland, it's just so innocent, right? In Ireland, the word simply means, oh, it just means fun, or we can use it to mean stories or, or news. And we use this in a whole bunch of different ways. So for example, you might hear an Irish person say, what's the crack? Which is basically just saying, hey, what's up? Or we'll say, how's the crack? 
Or we might say, if we've had a really good time, we'll say, oh my goodness, the crack was 90. Which you just can't say over here, right? But there's one story in particular I want to share with you. This is part of my past. So when I was 13 years old, I took a trip from Ireland to go to a Christian summer camp in Texas. Now, I had grown up in church, which I'll tell you a little bit about in a few minutes, but I grew up in church, and so coming over here to spend the summer in Texas uh, at a Christian summer camp, I, I was kind of anxious about like, meeting new people, and will they like me, and you know, will they be able to understand my accent, and all that sort of stuff. But I remember one, uh, one scenario in particular was that the guy who was the camp director, or kind of like the, the, the camp pastor, if, if you will, he came to pick my sister and I up from the airport when we arrived. And I wanted to make a good impression. I wanted to be friendly, but not too friendly, you know? Uh, so I thought I would greet him in a typical Irish way to, you know, to get off to a good start. So here's this 13-year-old kid. I show up. This camp pastor comes to pick me up, and the first words out of my mouth that he hears from me are, have you got any crack? <laughs> but he didn't laugh like you're laughing, right? He gave me the death stare. He was like, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? This guy is on crack. But I was not. I was on Irish crack, which is just fun, right? It's just, it was totally innocent. But the things that I say can get me into all sorts of trouble. There's, there's other parts of my past. Like, one of the biggest parts of my past is the fact that I was brought up or I was raised in a family where my dad was a pastor. So from, from I was two months old, the only thing I've ever experienced, you know, up until I became an adult was church world. But it wasn't just church world, it was extremely small startup church world. Really, really small, really insular. In fact, when my dad started his church, they were so small, they didn't even have a building to meet in. So, I mean, they didn't have this, like, awesome space with lights and TVs and all that sort of stuff. When my parents started their church, when my dad started the church, he started it in his living room. So, it, you know, every Sunday, 40 people and a bunch of kids would come around to my parents' house, and they would have church. So, obviously, people in the neighborhood are looking, kind of wondering, what is going on? Like, here's this young couple. They were just about the age that I am now. And, and they're looking, well, why are all these people gathering there? And why are they singing? Like, my dad's up there with a the guitar, you know, leading, like, songs and all sorts of stuff. So it was super weird. And not alone was just that whole thing super weird, but some of the things that we believed, which, as Christians, we believe some things that are intrinsically just very strange. I don't know if you have much experience with church. Maybe this is your first time at church, or maybe you've been to church in the past, and you're kind of returning for the first time, and you've got a whole bunch of baggage of weird things that you've experienced or heard, or things that, ways you've been burned by church or by Christians. I totally get it, right? Because not alone is it that sometimes Christians believe things that are weird or say things that are weird or act in ways that are weird. But what's even weirder is hearing what Christians believe as interpreted by my six-year-old sister. So let me just tell you a story. So, I got a nickname um, in school, which was weird. Weirdo, you know, like I was, that's, that's what I was known as in school. And it's because of something my sister did. It wasn't even anything to do with me. So my sister, when she was six years old, so she's a year older than me, so I was about five, she's about six, and she's hearing things at church that her little mind just can't quite understand. So she hears, you know, the message of Jesus and the Bible and God loves you and you go to heaven when you die and all this sort of stuff. Right? So she hears this stuff, and one day she goes into school because she's got a message for her friends, right? So she goes in, she's sitting around a table with some of her other six-year-old classmates, and she starts asking them a question. She asks them, hey, um, 
is your granny still alive? Which is a weird question to be asked by a six-year-old, but some of the kids are like, yeah, yeah, she's still alive. But there were two or three that, that said, no, actually, my granny passed away. Then my sister says, well, did your, did your granny go to church in my living room? Because to my sister, that's the only way you can be a Christian is to attend church in her actual living room. So they were going like, no, I don't think so. I don't think she went to church in her living room. Then my sister, with her six-year-old innocence but strangeness, looks at these kids and says, well, then your grannies are in hell. Which you just can't say. First of all, it's just not right. But, but basically, all the, the teachers got called in. The kids started crying. Parents got mad. They started calling. That's just story number one, though. Because the next thing my sister did was she overheard my dad talking about how, you know, sometimes what we read in Scripture or God's thoughts and God's ways are almost alien to us. So my sister hears this buzzword. She goes into school the next day. She's talking to her classmates, and she says, hey, so you know my brother and I and my parents and all the people who go to church in my living room? We're all aliens. <laughs> so now everyone thinks that there's a UFO cult happening on the street, right? Then the next thing she does is, that she does is she hears my dad talking. He's giving a sermon or something, and she hears him say, you know, we have a, a, a human father, but our heavenly father is even more our father than our human father, right? It's an innocent thing. My sister goes to school, and she's waiting to be picked up by my dad. And as she's waiting, she turns to one of the other parents who's with their child, and she says, hey, so you know that guy who picks me up from school every day? He's not my real dad. <laughs> so now they think there's some sort of scandal happening in the household or in the church, and things just went weird, and that's how I ended up with the, the nickname Weirdo, right? It's like, oh God, just leave Adam alone. He's weird. His church is weird. His parents are weird. The whole thing is weird, right? That's a huge part of my past, but there's other parts of my story too. There's moving to America and falling in love. There's, there's college regrets, things I wish I hadn't have done. There's relationships that, that were great, friendships that have lasted me throughout life and relationships that broke down and just didn't survive. There's all sorts of stuff. But the truth is, every single one of us has a past. And here's the idea that we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about the idea that if you spend all your time living in the past, you'll miss the here and now. The thing about this statement is, it doesn't really take much convincing, does it? Because I don't have to sit and argue with you about the fact that this is true. We all kind of common sense know that if we spend all our time living in the past, we'll miss out on the here and now. And yet, and yet, even though we know this is true, even though I know this is true, we often find ourselves bogged down in our past. The way that this normally comes up in conversation or even in our thoughts is with the language of moving on. So we, we'll, you know, maybe think about a time in our life and we'll say, wow, I really need to move on. Or perhaps if you have a friend or a partner or somebody who loves you, they might even be kind enough to sit you down and say, hey, it's time to move on. You're living in the past. You're, 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 you're tethered to what happened, to you know, what they said. And, and we do this in so many ways. It can be something as simple as an argument that we've had with a parent or with a kid or with a partner. We have an argument and then we cannot move on from it because it's only after the argument that you figure out that one perfect one-liner that if I, if I had just said this, that would have won the argument and it would have been awesome and I would have won, I would have got my way. Or it's a relationship. 
break that. And I, we need to move on from that, but we're struggling, we're wrestling with, how do I move on from this broken relationship? I don't even fully know what went wrong yet. Or maybe it's a, a person. Maybe our moving on is couched in terms of grief, somebody that we've lost. And we're just not sure exactly how do we move on. So here's what I want to do today. I want to ask some questions. And then we're going we're gonna to look at, well, why do we end up stuck in the past? And then what do we do about it and how do we do it? That's what I want to look at today. But before we get there, I've got a question for you. So as it relates to, um, to moving on, as it relates to moving on, I don't know what... Oh, that's what's wrong. There you go. As it relates to, to moving on, I want to ask you a question. This is kind of a harsh question. But if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you need to move on or somebody is advising you to move on, here's probably a good question for you. question is this. How much of the past are you planning to redo? How much of the past exactly are you planning to jump into a time machine and live all over again? What part of the last conversation that you had are you planning to re-argue? What part of the last relationship are you planning to go back and fix? The truth is, none of it, because it's not possible. And yet, we still end up stuck. We still end up in some way not enjoying the present, the here and now, because we can't stop thinking about what happened in the past. We can't stop thinking about what we should have done or what we would redo if we could only have the chance to live it over again. If I could only experience that again. If I could only have that conversation. If I could spend five minutes with that person and redo it. But the truth is, none of us can redo any of it. We just don't have that, that luxury. So here's a, a second question, maybe a little bit less harsh, but, but very poignant anyway. How far into the future do you intend to carry the angst created in your past? How far into the future do you intend to carry the pain created by what somebody else said? How far in it do you, do you plan to carry the hurt from what someone else did to you? How, how much into the future or how far into the future are, are you planning to carry the things that you did wrong and your mistakes? The truth is, if we were to answer this question, we would say, well, I wish it would stop today. And yet we still continue to carry it into tomorrow and the next day and the next day. We're carrying pain, we're carrying regret or guilt or, or frustration. Whatever it is, we keep continuing to carry it in. So I want to look at why do we do it, what do we do about it, and how do we do that? But before we get there, i got to share a story with you, or a part of Scripture. It's from a guy called Paul. And if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you've probably heard Paul referred to mostly as the Apostle Paul. And what Paul says that we're going to look at is really simple and yet extremely powerful. So let me give you a little bit of a background on Paul. So Paul, he, he appears first on the pages of history as somebody who hates Christians, hates them. He's a Jew, and at this time when this new movement of Christianity in the first century is starting up, he thinks, this, I can't allow this to happen. So he goes around persecuting Christians, throwing them in jail, and sometimes even having them put to death. Then he has this radical experience where he meets Jesus, it changes his life, he changes his name even from Saul to Paul as we, as we mostly know him. And instead of persecuting Christians, he ends up spending the rest of his life traveling around the Mediterranean Rim in Europe and planting little churches everywhere he went. And when he would leave those churches, 
He would then want to advise them or say, hey, I just want to catch up with you or here's something I forgot to tell you or he'd hear something that was happening at the church and he says, hey, here's what you need to do about what's going on. And so he would write them letters. And many of those letters have been preserved. And, and we call them books in the Bible. You know, we, we say like these are books, but really it's, it's, they're just letters. They're documents. And, and the, the Bible, we, we call the Bible a book, but it's, it's a book with many books. It's not even a book with many books. It's, it's just a, a collection of ancient documents. And so one of the things that we're going to look at today that Paul wrote is one of those ancient documents. It's a letter that he wrote to a church in a town called Philippi. And so the, the name of the letter is Philippians. So that's what we're going to look at today. So Paul starts off in this letter. And he, he's saying some like really nice things like, guys, it's, I really miss you. I think about you all the time. I hope that you're doing well. And, you know, all these nice things. And then all of a sudden he switches gears like so harshly and jumps into a rant. Right? I mean, like, if you've ever had a rant, you, you're going to understand this, but Paul just starts into a rant. There's something that makes him really mad, and he starts to write about it. So here's where we're going to jump in. We're going to jump in at the beginning of the rant that Paul goes on. So here's what he says. He starts off with, watch out for those dogs, which begs an even deeper theological question, I think, of who let the dogs out? <laughs> who? Who, who, who? That's the worst joke I think I've ever made in church. Okay, so back to Paul's rant. So Paul's ranting, he says, here's what he says. He says, watch out for those dogs. So who are the dogs? Those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Now, I need to give you a little bit of background on this. So here's, what, here's what's happening. Here's what Paul is ranting about. Basically, there's a group of Christians who are, who are starting, this movement, this Jesus movement is just taking off. And it's separating itself from the Jewish tradition, the, the Judaism. And in Judaism, there was several traditions, several things that you had to do in order to be considered part of the club, part of the group, part of the, the Jewish family. And one of the main things was for men to be circumcised. Now, I don't mean to be crass. This isn't a presidential debate or anything, so I shouldn't be talking about that. But, but here's, here's what he starts to, to address. He says, look, there, there's a bunch of you... And these guys are trying to get you to go back to the traditions, go back to the past in order to be a Christian. So these Judaizers are saying, if you want to be a Christian, you must first become a Jew, and then you become a Jew, and then you can be a Christian, because in their eyes, Judaism was where it started, and so you've got to fulfill all of the, the rhetoric and all of the traditions if you want to be a Christian. And this makes Paul furious, so much that he's calling them dogs. He says, no, 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 he's, he's mad at this. So he says, don't listen to those people who say you've got to be circumcised, you've got to go back to the tradition, you've got to be living in the past in order to be part of this new Jesus movement that's happening. And Paul continues. He says, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Paul is saying, look, you do not have to go back to the past in order to be part of this Jesus movement. This Jesus movement is something that's happening very much in the present, and it's going to be part of the future. But you don't have to go back to the past and fulfill a whole bunch of to-dos in order to be part of it. And he's mad. He's saying, look, we don't put any confidence in human effort. Or for Paul, what he's really saying is, for us, we don't put any confidence in what happened in the past. We're, we're not, it's not as if we've got some rule book that we have to fulfill. He continues... Although, I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. So Paul starts saying, listen, let me tell you something. 
If they're going to tell you that you've got to go into the past, and, and, and they're going to tell you that you've got to do this and you've got to do that, you've got to do A, B, and C in order to be acceptable or to be accepted or to be part of the club, let me tell you something. If we're going back into my past, I'm the very one who can afford to talk here, right? Not them. Let me tell you about my past. He says, I, I could have confidence in what I've done. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence, if those Judaizers, as, as they called them at the time, if those Jewish people have reason to be confident in their traditions or their efforts or the past, I have even more. And then Paul goes on to start listing the things. So it's almost like his credentials. Here's, here's what is in my past. If you guys want to talk about the past, let me tell you about my past, right? You, don't, you ain't seen nothing yet. So he starts. He said, let me tell you about me. So I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Right? So tick the box, number one. They, they want you to be circumcised. They, they want you to fulfill the traditions. I did it. I am pure, I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. He's like, look, this isn't just me. This goes all the way back. I mean, if you go back into my ancestry, everyone is part of the tradition. Everyone has got all of their things lined up. I am I, a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. If, they, if they're going to talk to you, listen, I, I've got that. I've been doing this right. He says, I was a member of the Pharisees, this elite group of, 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 of people who demand the strictest adherence to the Jewish law. In fact, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. He's like, they're telling you that you need to go into the past. Let me tell you, I actually hurt people. I actually threw people in prison. I actually made Christians suffer because of what I felt they needed to do to be worthy. To be, I, I, I had my list of what they needed to do and what they did. Listen, if, if anyone was zealous, if anyone was passionate about it, it was me. And as for righteousness or as for right standing, I obeyed the law without fault. Listen, there's a whole group, there's a whole set of laws. I'm the person who never broke any of them. Don't, don't, don't listen to what they say, right? I, in my past, part of my story is that I obeyed every law. I, I obeyed it to the very last detail. Just so interesting because what Paul is talking about as he remembers his past is something that he has accomplished. He's looking back going, hey, if, if you want to talk about someone who did it right, that's me. Now, for us as it relates to our story, this, this might not be how we would argue when we talk about our past. We, we might not say, you know what, I got it all right. It was fantastic. It was phenomenal. Maybe you would. I, I think that why we get stuck in the past falls into four major categories. Now, I'm going to list them, and you might not fully agree with it, and maybe we can talk about that after. You might say, you know what, there's more than four, but um, for now, I just want to break it down into these four categories, way, reasons why we end up stuck in the past, why we struggle to move on. So here's the first one. We experienced something great. So there was a season of our lives that was awesome. We're looking back going, man, my 20s were phenomenal. Or, or we're looking back going, man, when I was in college, it was fantastic. It was just the best time. Or maybe it's a time where we were in a particular relationship and we thought, wow, when that was happening, it was awesome. Or maybe as we talked about a little bit earlier, as it relates to grief, it was, you know, when they were part of my life, when they were still around, it was fantastic. Wow, what a great time. Or the other reason we get, oh, we get stuck in is, oh, here we go, sorry. We did something great. I accomplished something. I got that promotion at work, or I met the man or the woman of my dreams, 
or you know, I, I, uh, I did something great. I, I uh, graduated from college with that degree. I, I just made something happen at work, and it was fantastic, and everything was going. I did something great. Like that, this is the category Paul is falling into here. He's like, if you want to talk about someone who did something great, that was me. Or it's because we did something bad. We're carrying regret. I should never have said that. I should never have gone there. If only I could go back to that weekend and undo that thing that I did, man, it would change everything. Or if something bad happened to us. Now, there was something that happened to, to you or something that happened to me, and I, I would say, I didn't ask for it. I didn't wish for it. It wasn't fully my fault, but it happened to me, and I'm carrying hurt. Someone mistreated you. There was a relationship where you were mistreated. And now you're, you're struggling to let go of the hurt from it. Those are the reasons why we get stuck in the past. Those are the reasons why we, we struggle to move on. We're wrestling with, I don't even know what moving on would look like. I know that I shouldn't live in the past, but how do I move on? So Paul continues. He says, look, here, here's what to do. No matter which of those categories you fall into, here's what I've now learned about the past. I once thought that these things were valuable. I once thought that holding on to the past was a good idea. Whether for him it was glorying in the past, saying, wow, it was fantastic, or saying, oh, God, just wallowing in the past. I once thought that was a valuable. I thought that was a good idea. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. There was a time where I thought it was great to look back at the past. Now I'm realizing that those those memories, as far as they keep me from being in the here and now, it was worthless. And then Paul goes into hyperbole, right? So he starts really over-exaggerating to try and make a point because Paul is a phenomenal communicator. So he's writing this letter and he starts to like exaggerate just to make a point. And here's what he starts to say next. He says, yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Here's what he's saying. So look, the whole hope of this Jesus story, this Jesus message, is that I felt at one time like I was separated from God. And now, because of what Jesus has done, I can have a relationship with God. I feel like I can actually know Jesus. I can actually know God. And in, in light of how incredible that is, the peace and the relief and the joy that comes from that relationship, all of the stuff in the past is just worthless. For, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as an hyperbole garbage so that I could gain Christ. He's like, look, here's how I view the past now. I, I look at the past like it's garbage. To me, carrying around the regret of the past, carrying around even the, the, oh, I wish I could go back because it was so great of the past, it's garbage. It's as if you're carrying a bag of trash around. And no one wants to be around someone carrying a dirty, smelly, rotten bag of trash around. And you don't want to do that. I mean, think of what your relationships would look like if you carried around a bag of trash all the time. Paul is like, this is what I felt it was like. This is what I feel like these Jewish people are asking you to do by asking you to go back to the tradition, back to the past, before you can be a Christian in the present. He's like, no, 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 that is like garbage. 
But it's so easy to feel like it's not garbage. It's so easy to feel like, no, I'm justified for feeling the way I do. I know that I shouldn't live in the past, but it's so easy to reason why what I'm doing is okay. And there's a couple of reasons why we do this, right? But here's the deal. How do you know that you're carrying around a bag of garbage with you? Because it's not always obvious to us. It often takes somebody else pointing it out to us to be like, dude, you need to move on, right? For me as a teenager, it was, dude, she's just not that into you, right? Just move on. Like, go so, like there's other plenty of fish in the sea, right? Maybe for you, it's the, somebody's telling you, hey, you need to move on and get a, get a job again. I know things didn't work out. Or, or hey, you need to go and, and, and seek that promotion again. Or you need to, to go back and, and fix that relationship. Like, you need to move on from it. You've got you to gotta fix it. You've got to do something. You can't just wallow in it. You can't just wish that it would change. You can't just glory in your college years or in the first early years of your career. You can't just think about the time when your kids were small and not move on and be a, a, a person and keep living and being an individual enjoying life in the future. You can't do that. How do you know you're carrying around that garbage? Because we never see it in the mirror. So here's a quick test for how you might identify that this is what's going on in your life. You've stopped experiencing new things, you're repeating the mistakes of the past, and you're carrying the pain of the past. If you're doing any one of these things, if you're if you, you've stopped experiencing new things, it's been a while since you took a risk relationally or career-wise or even just in life. You just haven't been taking risks. It's just the same old, same old pattern. Or if you're repeating the mistakes of the past. If you find yourself with a habit that you can't get rid of, that might be an indication how you're living in the past. Or if there's a part of how you relate to other people that you keep blaming on others, but you keep seeing it show up in your life, it's a great indication. If you get angry when you relate to other people and this thing just flares up in you all the time, you just feel like, I'm so mad, they've made me so angry. You're so tempted, I'm so tempted to say, well, but it's their fault. If they didn't act that way, I wouldn't act that way. But here, here's the deal, and this is hard to hear. It's hard for me to hear, it's even harder for me to say, but. Do you know what the one common denominator is in every relationship and every interaction you've ever had? The one common denominator in every relationship and every one of your past interactions. Common denominator is you. You have been in every one of your previous relationships. You have been in every single one of your previous interactions with others. And when the mistakes that you keep making keep showing up, it's an indication that you may be stuck living out patterns of the past living out of regret or of pain that other people have caused, or if you're carrying pain and you feel like you just can't get over something, it's hard for you to just experience life. It's hard for you to, to maintain normal relationships, to move on because you just are hurting so much. It's just holding you back. Paul would say, okay, that's a great indication that you're carrying around a bag of trash. This is a great indication that you need to start looking at the past as garbage. Now, he's not saying that it is garbage because Paul talks in, in many of his other letters about the past. He talks about a family and things he's learned from the past and, and ways to move on and, and how it's helped as a catalyst to propel him forward. But he's saying, as far as it relates to stopping you from moving on, treat it like garbage. If any of these things is happening, consider the past as garbage that you need to move on from. So how do you do that? If we're experiencing any of these things, how do we move on to the next phase of life? 
So here's what Paul says. Paul says this. So, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. Or in other words, I don't have everything together, right? I'm not perfect. I'm not living in the here and now just 100% with no, not making any mistakes or not doing anything wrong or not at all remembering better times or, or pain. He's like, look, I don't have this perfect. But let me tell you what I do know. I focus on this one thing. And here's one thing that Paul is going to tell us, that if we could grasp hold of it, if we could apply this, if we could start living like this at work, with our families, if we start living like this with our friends and how we pursue life, if we could start doing this, it would change everything for us. Not that you have to have a perfect. Paul said, I don't have a perfect. But here's the one thing that I do focus on. Here's the one thing that has changed my life. Here's the one thing that's helped me to move on and let go of the garbage that I've been carrying around. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. He said, look, here, here's what I've, I've had to do. It's not as if I've taken a neuralizer from Men in Black, right? One of those things where you press the button. He said, it's not that, I, it's not that like someone has erased my memory, but as far as it relates to my here and now, when it holds me back, I just make a decision. I'm going to forget it. I'm going to put it out of focus. I'm going to focus on the here and the now and on the future, but I'm not going to focus anymore. I'm not going to keep looking back because Paul uses this really interesting language. He, he does this a ton. He says, so I press on to reach the end of the race. And this is language that Paul uses in so many of his letters. He talks about the Christian life as if it's a race or he, in, in another letter he talks about it as if it's like a boxing match, right? And he says, look, here's the deal. There is a prize at the end. There's a prize at the end. There, and there's, there's prizes like that we're going to achieve and, and we're going to get and experience having a relationship with Jesus, being, in a sense, reconnected with our Heavenly Father who loves us. And, and what happens with that? It's incredible. And it's like we're running a race. But when I keep looking back, I am never going to get to where I need to be. Every time I look behind me, I end up moving in that direction. I mean, you know what this is like when you drive a car. If you start looking in another direction long enough, you don't even intend to do it, but you start steering in that direction, right? It's dangerous. Paul is saying, when you're running a, an important race, when you're living your life, your life is a race, if you keep looking back, you're never going to get to where you want to be. You're never going to experience the incredible things that are in your future, the incredible things that you get to experience from day to day. For him, it was the hope of knowing Jesus, but uh, there's so much more to it than, than even just that. And Paul says, you've got to press on to reach the end of the race. So here's the question, because this sounds easy. Just forget the past and press on, and I could leave you there and say, so go home and enjoy your Sunday and just don't ever think about the past, right? But that's, it's, let's be realistic. That's, it's not that easy, is it? So I want to give you three applications, three things that you can do. Now, you don't have to do all three of these. You can pick one of them. You can maybe just hear them and then say, nice talk, Adam. I'm not going to do any of those, but I enjoyed your accent. But whatever. You might even just pick one, depending on, on what stage of life that you're in or what part of your past that you're struggling or wrestling to let go of. So here are the three things that I feel like if you are wrestling to move on, trying to move on, but struggling, here's what you can do. Celebrate it, own it, and release it. To move past the past, you celebrate it, you own it, you release it. To move past the past, you celebrate it, you own it, and you release it. So here's the thing. 
For some of you, you might be looking back like Paul was looking back at his past and going, wow, I experienced something great or I did something great and now I feel like nothing that ever happens is as good. Right? I look back at a time in my life where everything seemed rosy, where I was, it, just, it was just the best time and now every moment after that just doesn't compare and it makes you sad. Paul says, no, don't live like that. Don't carry around that. Celebrate it. Celebrate the past. Say like, wow, I'm so glad that I got to experience that. I'm so glad I got to know that person before they were gone. I'm so glad that I had that relationship. I'm so glad that I got that opportunity, that I learned that thing. Wow, I'm so glad. Celebrate it. Because here's the truth. When you can find joy in the past, you can enjoy the present. When you can find joy in the past, you can enjoy the present. But until you start finding that joy in the past, it's so hard to find enjoyment in your present in the here and now. Here's, here's the second thing. Own it. For those of us who feel like there's patterns, we keep making the same mistakes, or the same like, things keep coming up over and over and over, and we just can't understand why. Why can't I just get away from, from this aggravation? If only I got out of this career, if I changed jobs, it would be fine. Or if I wasn't married to this person, if I wasn't in a relationship, if we weren't dating, everything would be fine. This thing wouldn't keep coming up over and over again. What about the times where, where, where we've done something bad that we're feeling guilty about or we're feeling regret? So, so he, he, here's what you need to do. That's just my advice. You can, you can take it or leave it. The best way that I can explain how to own it is by this thing. This is my really crudely drawn um, graph. I made this yesterday. First time ever doing it. Okay. So this is what I like to call, <laughs> this is the blame pie, right? And the blame pie is when you think back at a conflict or a relationship or something that broke down and went wrong in your past, there's blame for, for, for why that happened. Someone is responsible. And we're so often tempted when we're asked how much of what happened in your past, how much of that relational breakdown, how much of that you know, job thing that went wrong, how much of that, that thing, how much of it was your fault? How much blame do you have? Very few of us, very few, unless you're extremely emotionally mature and, and, and responsible. Very few of us are gonna divide it in half and say, yeah, it was 50-50. You know, like they had their part, but you know, I did a lot of things wrong too. Right? Very few of us are gonna do that. Mostly it's going to be, well, you know what? If she hadn't have said what she said, I never would have acted that way. Or, or we're going to say, if my kids would just be more mature and be less entitled, it would, have just, it would have been fine. I wouldn't have said what I said. We wouldn't have fallen out. See, here's the thing. This has become very personal to me because I'm getting married on April 15th. So at the minute, uh, my fiance and I are going through premarital counseling, which has been interesting. Because all of a sudden, we're looking at our relational dynamics and the things that go wrong, and we're talking about, you know, we had this fight the other day, and there's so much of me that just wants to say, well, here's, here's why. She's crazy, <laughs> and if she didn't act like that, it would be great. We'd have a phenomenal marriage, right? There's part of me, to be honest with you, that says, well, you know what, here's the deal. She comes from a pretty dysfunctional family, but my family were great. Like, my family were stable, and, and they were nice people, and they were awesome. So it's her fault. She brings so much into this. And we all do this, but here's the thing. If we can learn to own 
just a slither of the blame, we can start to move on from it. Now, none of us are going to divide this up 50-50, but if we could just take a piece of it and just say, you know, the whole industry was really going downhill at that time, but I was dishonest in, in how I behaved some of the time. Yeah, the, the economy was crashing and the politics around it have been insane, but I acted irresponsibly. I wasn't smart with my finances. She has been so mean to me and so rude, and I guess that I responded in a negative way. When we can start to own what we did wrong, we can begin to move on from it. But as long as you refuse to own your part, you will continue to smuggle your issues into your future. Those things that, you expect, that, that popped up will keep popping up again and again and again unless we deal with them. And the first, the first step to dealing with them is to own it. Because here's, here's the truth. You make peace with the past by owning your peace of the past. You make peace with the past by owning your peace of the past. And until you own your peace of the past, it is so difficult to make peace with the past. And here's application number three. Release it. Release it. See, when you don't own your part, you smuggle your issues into the future. When you don't release someone else's part, when you don't release the hurt or the, 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 the bad will or the mistreatment that you've received from someone else, if you don't release someone else's part, you allow them to smuggle their issues into your future. You allow them to smuggle the things that they do wrong and the things that they've said and the things that, that, that are their issues, their problems. When you don't release it, when you refuse to forgive, you're taking their issues into your future and you're living them over and over and over again. And you don't want that. I don't want that for you. I don't even know you. I'm like, I don't, please don't do that. But it's so hard to let go of those things. So here's an exercise I, I want to recommend See, here, here, here's the thing. We looked at this part, owning this part. What do we do with this? What do we do with that? Do we just say, well, you know, I, I'm holding on to that bitterness. I'm going to hold on to the pain of that, and I've owned my part now. That's not the right thing to do. The best thing to do is own your part, and then with all this other stuff, release it. Find a way to forgive. Find a way to let it go. It's not easy. It's not easy. But here's something I want to recommend. It's an exercise. Again, this is something that's really personal to me. This is my actual journal. And um, someone advised me to do this a while back when I had a pretty bad relationship breakdown. And I was feeling hurt and I felt betrayed and I felt like, you know, they've, they've done me wrong and she, you know. And I, I, I took out my journal at somebody else's recommendation. Here's what they said to me. Adam, take out a piece of paper and write down everything you feel she owes you. Write down everything you feel she owes you, and be detailed. And once you've written it down, then you're going to write it off. Sign your name at the bottom and say, you know what, this debt, what, they, what I feel they owed me, I am writing it off. They don't owe it to me anymore. I am releasing it. And when you release it, it's incredible but it releases you. 
It's amazing. I, I, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a struggle for me. But I'll tell you what, when I started that list, it was longer than I ever imagined it would be. I would love to recommend for you to do this. If you're struggling with carrying somebody else's issues in your future, if they've hurt you, if they've done you wrong, and they probably have, I would say take out a piece of paper and write it down. Be detailed. Write down what they owe you. Write down what you feel they owe you. They took away financial opportunities from me. They took away the opportunity to put my kids to bed. They took away my happiness. They took away my promotion. Well, whatever it is, write it down. And then once you've written it down, choose to write it off. To pardon it. Because here's what pardon means. To pardon it means you are guilty of the crime. But I'm not going to make you pay for it. And see, as Christians, we have a responsibility to do this. Because this is exactly what Jesus modeled for us. He never told us that we weren't guilty of doing things wrong. He never said, you guys are perfect. You've got it all together, right? We know we, know we make mistakes. We know that we, we do things wrong. And Jesus said, yep, you have. But I'm not going to hold it over you anymore. I pardon it. You're guilty, but you don't have to pay for it. When we can find a way to do this in our own lives, it releases us from the past. It releases us from the past. So here's the three things you can do. Celebrate it, own it, release it. Celebrate it, own it, or release it. For some of you, maybe you need to do all three of these, or maybe you just need to do one. Maybe it's just one, one thing in, in your life. You're like, ah, if I could do that, I could start to move on. Here's the thing, too. I, I don't know you. I don't know your story. I don't know what's in your past. But there's a good chance that if you and I were to sit down after this, this service and you were to tell me your whole story. You would say, you know, Adam, that was a good talk, but I am the exception to this. If you knew what happened to me in my past or what I've done or what someone has done to me, you wouldn't advise me to do the same thing. It's just different for me. And you know what? To be honest with you, you might be right. If I heard your story, I might say, you know what? That's extreme. You get a pass. You don't have to do any of this. Forget what Paul said. You get a pass, right? I don't know. Maybe I would say that. But here's the deal. Future you deserves the best version of you that is not tethered to the past. Your future relationships, your career, your kids, your friends, your church deserves the version of you that is not held back by the garbage of the past. And even if you're one of the people who, who's, who, who qualifies to be the exception of the rule, who qualifies for a pass. Just imagine what your future would look like, though, if you were to do this. Imagine what it would look like in the here and now. Imagine what tomorrow would look like if you could start celebrating the past instead of longing to go back to it. Imagine what your, your tomorrow would look like if you owned what you did wrong rather than blaming everyone else and just repeating it tomorrow and the next day. Imagine what tomorrow would look like in your family and at home or in your job or at school if you could release what someone else did to you. And as you release it, watch it release you. I think it's worth trying. I honestly do. Because here's the bottom line. We've been talking about this and we know this. We don't need convinced on this. If you spend all your time living in the past, you will miss the here and now. And I don't want that for you. I don't want it for me. 
And it doesn't have to be true for you. It doesn't have to be true for you. You get to get this right. You get to get this right. So, Zach and uh, Alexis are going to come out. And they're going to sing a song about the past. I, I would love for you to just to pay attention to the words of this song. About letting the past be the past and enjoying the here and now. And I don't know what part of this you need to do, whether it's celebrate it or own it or release it, but I want to encourage you to do whatever it takes to do that. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for preserving that, that letter that Paul wrote. Thank you for his courage to let us know that the past is just not worth carrying around. It's not worth the burden. Thank you for, for that, that, that idea. But God, I pray for each person in here who is wrestling with some part of their past. They're wrestling with even just the simplest thing of an argument that they had that they just can't let go of or move on from. Or maybe the person who's, who's got a complete relationship breakdown and is wrestling with how do I move on? How do I fix it? Or how do I move on into the future without it? God, would you give us the courage to take what you've said seriously? To take this idea of owning it or celebrating it or releasing it. Give us the courage to actually do that. Not just know that we should, but actually do something about it tomorrow. Give us the bravery and the courage that we need to go into tomorrow without all of the past weighing us down. In Jesus' name.